0: Kia church, wherever you're watching this, uh, it's lovely to be with you in this beautiful setting that we have in a lovely part of the country and, and part of the world in which we live. Have you ever had to sit with somebody who has just uh, going through grief or in a real state of anguish, maybe they've had a broken relationship or something going on, and you've been asked to go around and pastorally care for them or, or be present with them, do you remember what that was like? What is it that you were thinking when you were there? Were you concerned about what you would say, or, or, or maybe even what you would try not to say? They can be difficult moments for us pastorally, can't they? I remember a number of years ago I was in, when I was in Palmerston North, and I knew a man who lost his mum. Uh, he had grown up in this family; the marriage had broken up. Dad had headed away to another region, and so. His mum had raised the two boys by herself, and she was a great mum. She'd done a wonderful job with them. And he'd grown up, he'd got married, and he had had a young family. And his mum went into the hospital for a moderate kind of procedure, but they expected her to be okay. Then something went wrong during the procedure, majorly wrong, and she passed away. It was a shock on so many levels, I was rung by his wife and she had to go out one evening very soon after it had happened and said, I'm just worried about him. I just want someone to sit with him for the evening. And so I I went around, but I remember going around and thinking, what is it that I want to say? Or actually more importantly, what is it that I don't want to say? Because, My concern was it's very easy to go in and go, well, here's something that I need to fix. But in actual fact, what I wanted to go around is I wanted to experience what he was feeling and empathize with him. Now, I want to use us thinking about that thought and thinking about in relation to fasting and, and more spe- more broadly in terms of Lent, because we're thinking about why as a church are we doing Lent and why is it really important in this moment in time for us to do something like this as a community? Scott McKnight's been very helpful for me in this, and he's um, written a book on fasting, a, re- a really good book. And he, he goes, well, what is it? why Why should we fast? What is the reasons for doing it? And he said in general, when he looked at fasting and heard people's arguments for he would say that fasting is often talked about well let's fast to get a a result we fast so that something can improve in my life or i can hear from god or whatever it is there's a motive that sort of sits in there and they can be good motives in that but he said it's not a great way to think of it from a scriptural perspective when you delve into the scriptures what you find is if you imagine a b c b is fasting and c is what the results we would hope to come from fasting, he would actually say the more important step is there's something A over here, which he would call a sacred moment, which draws the people of God to fast. Now, what he means by sacred moment is this. He's talking about anguish or grief or brokenness or sin, that sense of fallenness that we really feel in the world something that we feel like this needs fixing or this needs sorting out. But the problem is we can't fix and sort things out very easily. There's all sorts of things in this world that we'd like to fix and sort out. We can make an argument at the moment. We feel that way. We feel disempowered in, in, in so many ways. There's so many things going on in the world, so many things that are being juggled about, and we feel like we want to fix all these things Well, he would say in a sacred moment, a moment of anguish or grief or sense of pain that sort of sits there, A, draws us to fast. It's the natural response that Christian people should have in a moment. Rather than sit and go, what can we do to fix this? That's our tendency, isn't it? He would say, what is it that the people of God should do? Well, they should cry out to God in those moments and they should fast and pray and seek God, not for the purpose of a result out the other side, although that will happen in a very real sense. The motivation for it is to feel rather than to fix. So at the moment, if I feel like the fallenness and brokenness of the world is heavy on us, and I think we would all be able to say that it is, then what the people of God should be drawn to is to fast and to pray and to seek God and to come together as a community, not to go, well, let's do these bullet points A, B, and C, and then it will sort it all out and we'll fix the world's kind of problems. And this isn't talking about inaction, this is talking about where do I put my eyes in these moments? And so as I've been thinking about why we do do Lent, there's a number of reasons why we will do it. But to be honest, more and more I feel like this is actually why. There's a moment when we're meant to feel the brokenness and pain of our world, and we're meant to turn our eyes to God and listen and respond in a way that the Bible calls us to. And so let's look at this passage that we have before us in Luke chapter 4 because I want to pull out some elements of this that help us as we think forward and look at this idea of Lent. That's starting from the initial point of feeling and then ultimately thinking about how God might do to work it through, so a work in us and then ultimately a work through us. Now, we've read from Luke chapter 4, and we see the example of Jesus here, which Richard talked about last week. And this idea of 40 days, the 40 days less Sundays that we do leading up to Easter, is this period of Lent that's a tradition in our churches going back through the centuries, back to the 3rd or 4th century. And it's a beautiful concept of a lead into Easter. And I love this idea because so often the first term is Busy, isn't it? There's a whole lot kind of going on with school sort of starting back and back to work after Christmas, New Year. And and the first term can fly by really quickly. And we we get to Easter and we go, yay, a long weekend. And off we head and we go, and we'll still go to church or we'll go to camp or do something like that. But it feels like I've rushed and I haven't quite prepared and ready for that moment. Easter is the highlight of our Christian calendar. It's when we remember the sacrificial death and powerful resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That which gives us life. And so we need to celebrate it well. And one of the ways we're doing that is preparing properly. Now, in here, we're seeing Jesus preparing. Now, we read through to verse 15 deliberately because you'll see prior, it's the baptism that has just come out. Heaven's opened. God's looked down. God the Father's looked down, looked at the Son and said, this is my Son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. And the Spirit descends, and then the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. And then you'll see at the end of the story, the Spirit leads him into teaching. He begins his ministry. So here is a preparation time for Jesus into his ministry. And we'll pick up a little bit more of that later. So what we see here is the season of Lent We start with the idea that this season is first and foremostly a response to what is happening in the world. Now, ultimately, Jesus coming is a response to what is happening in the world. Why did Jesus need to come? Why did he need to come down from his place in heaven and come onto the earth, come as a human being, just like us, experience the world in the way that we experience it, but ultimately... To conquer the things that are wrong with the world. Why did he have to do that? Because he knew the brokenness and fallenness caused by our rebellion and sin. And so he feels it. right, And then ultimately he's going to fix it. So our first motivation for Lent is responding to the brokenness of our world. Now he goes out into the wilderness. And this time I want to focus a little bit on here this idea of testing. So he's he's, he's deliberately out here in the wilderness, and then the devil comes to him after 40 days, and he tempts him. Now, did you notice the three temptations? There are three different ways in which Jesus is tempted. The first one is a physical temptation. He says, see those stones? You're hungry. Why don't you make them into bread? Now, there's nothing wrong with eating, (laughs) right? If Jesus had chosen to eat at that moment, that would, that would be okay. We see the, in Scripture all the way kind of through in the Old Testament, we see this idea of feasts, celebrations, times when we come together and we come around food and we eat. But it's mixed with times of fasting. For example, the Day of Atonement. It says, on that day, Leviticus 24, you are to deny yourself food And it has severe repercussions for those who don't deny themselves. So he said there's an appropriate time to fast. And for Jesus, when he's out here in the desert being tested, is an appropriate time to fast. And the devil is saying to him, why don't you eat bread instead of doing that? And Jesus says no. Now for us, physical temptations are very real in our world that we have today. And it's not just around excess food or lust or other things that come with physical thing there. Remember last year in Fruit of the Spirit, we said self-control was the ability to choose the important over the urgent. I choose what is important over the the urges of my body, the urges of my flesh. And so the body has natural, lovely desires that it has to eat, is is a good thing, but there's appropriate kind of times from it, and I'm meant to control it. That's why fasting is actually really important. It shows my ability that even though food, is, physical food is critical, my spiritual food is ultimately the thing that I need more of. And that's why when Jesus answers, what does he say in verse 4? He says, it is written, man shall not live on physical bread alone. Right? And we know the finishing of that, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I have these Physical temptations, I put them in my place. I keep them where they are. Now, if you go through Lent and you set aside this period of time where you're fasting and praying and in the word and reaching out to God and doing his community, you're going to be tested. And physically is one of those ways that you will be tempted. If you choose to fast, there'll be moments where you go, oh, why don't you just give up that fast? Why don't you have that? Now, just one word on fasting while we're we're thinking of it. The main description of fasting in the Bible is a fast from sundown on one day to sundown the following day, a 24-hour fast. And I would just encourage you, I think there's all sorts of things that you can do in this period of Lent. Some of them I will call fasting and some of them I would call abstinence. What I mean, fasting is food. food plus or minus water, right? But food, I think, does something very specific with us and in us when we deny ourselves food for a period of time. And so I'd encourage you, I really think, one day a week, go from a dinner meal to the dinner meal the following day and just do a fast of that. You can do it for longer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... I think that as a minimum, that's a really good one to sit yourself down and do, and do it for six or seven weeks, one day a week. Now, why I said abstinence is different? Abstinence, I think, is this idea that there's some things that I should give up. We often choose, you know, there's, there's things like um, coffee or social media. they are things that I know are probably not the best thing for me to do, or I need to rein them in or pull them back in under control. That's a really good thing to do during Lent, and I would encourage you to do it. Some people have told me as families already that they're looking at ways to do that around social media or device use in their home. That is so cool. Brilliant. Do that. But I still would put in the place of abstinence. They're things that you're training yourself to do to improve your lifestyle in a very real way. But I would encourage you to do fasting on top of that, because I think it is the biblical model that sits there with it. So let's do a bit of both. Now, Back to the temptation. So the first one was a physical temptation. Now, Matthew 4 and Luke 4 have the same three temptations. They have the next two in a different order. So let's go with what Luke does. Luke's second one is in regards to taking him up to a high place and showing all the kingdoms of the world and saying, I will give you all their authority and splendor. Now, this is an interesting one because a lot of people will go, well, they're not there for him to give. And yet, the Bible does tell us that the, the devil is, in many ways, the prince of this current world. So while ultimately he will not be in charge forever, there's a sense in which he has massive amounts of control of what is going on. And you do not need to look far around our world at the moment to see that that is happening. right? So this temptation here is a temptation around power and control. I will, I will, I will give you this stuff. You, you can have power, you can have control. Now, is that temptation real to us? Absolutely. In small and in large ways, in areas of our life, we like to be in control and we like to have power. And it's a, it's a temptation that sits there very strongly for us. It's always testing us, always calling us away. And yet, If anything we learn from Jesus' model of leadership, it is that he is a servant and that he gives power and control away and doesn't need it for his own selfish gains. And so here he can resist the devil so strongly and goes, it's written, you worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm not bowing down and giving in to you. The third one is a really interesting test. He stands him up here. Highest point of the temple. And he says, you know what? You know that promise. Whereas if you jump off here, God will swoop down and he'll pick you up and he'll save you. Why don't you try that out? And so this is an emotional temptation. Does God love me? Does God care for me? Is that a real test? Absolutely, it's a test for us today. We have this little Thing in the back of our mind it started in the garden of Eden. did God really say does God really love me does God really keep his promises is God really true to his word will God meet me in my needs of what I? It's, it's a continual test that sits there in us and we can either choose to believe that lie or we can sit in the truth Do you notice all three times Jesus responds with what God's word he knows God's word is true it's actually his word <laughs> and he's repeating it back to Satan and he's saying you don't question God's love and you don't put God to the test over it because he's promised it and it's true and this side of the cross we we know that that is the truth absolutely it's the truth if you ever wonder about God's love you look at the cross and the empty tomb That is his message of love to us. It should never be questioned in that sense. When we stop and we allow God's word, his promises to speak to our hearts, then we can resist that temptation. So we've talked about the season of Lent both being a season of responding to the broken fallenness of our world, but it's also a season of testing. We're meant to test ourselves in places to see check ourselves out to see where we're at and how we are going and those three types of tests are very real tests and we want to pass them in very real ways i'll say it again though ultimately our salvation is not dependent on us passing the tests. our salvation is dependent on the forgiveness achieved through Christ. my last point though about preparation is uh sorry about this season is i think it's preparation you see, here at the end of this, it says, Jesus, re- after he'd finished, by the way, verse, just have a look at verse 15 for a moment, Because sorry, 13. This is fascinating. It says, when the devil had finished testing, he left him until an opportune time. Partly why I chose Luke over Matthew is because I think this verse is fascinating. There's times where the devil will test you we'll look for opportunities to do that and we'll come in and it will be it will feel very heavy this testing but it is meant for us to strengthen us and push us on and you see immediately after it, what happens in the power of the spirit Jesus goes out and he and he performs his ministry what's he doing he's spreading the good news all around and he's teaching in the synagogues and everyone is praising him Pirelli Street Church, we have a call on us in our community. But before God can do a full work through us, he must do a full work in us. I really feel at this moment in time that we are being called into a season where we are meant to be seeking God. We are responding to the brokenness that is present in the world in our country, but even in our own community, in our own families, we're meant to be responding with prayer and fasting and seeking God. But as we look through this period, we come to Easter and we have a celebration which ultimately draws us together, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which makes us a family, brothers and sisters, brought together as a family by blood, and then through that, we are meant to have a ministry to this world. We are called into action to take this good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And I've I, I got to say it. I think we talked about this last year. I think we've lost some zeal in that space. It's time to get it back. But I also think there's a moment to get it back. I think this world is looking for answers right at this moment. And the the cupboard for finding those answers in the world is pretty bare. But the cupboard with the good news of Jesus Christ is full and overflowing. So we've ultimately called this a season of expectancy. Because we believe that through this, God is going to do something powerful in us. And then something powerful through us. Last year we set aside time. We didn't do full length, but we set aside time for prayer and fasting and we had daily scriptures and devotions sent out. These are a little note we got at the end of that and this is what somebody said. Overall, it has been like having a spiritual checkup. I do feel refreshed and more intentional in my spiritual journey. I've realized I've spent a lot of time depending on myself and not trusting God for answers. The need to be much more intentional in my Christian walk it does not just happen. I have to be conscious of him with me at all times, not just in quiet moments of prayer and Bible study and worshipful singing and being together with other Christians, but at all times. I have found myself singing songs of praise in the shower and even a little dancing in the in the lounge, something I haven't done for a long time. God wants to heal and restore my passion for him. Hallelujah. Here's a verse that I got sent yesterday that I want to read as a prayer for us to close. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. This is what it says. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his Holy ones. Blessings. Amém.